To begin today's message, I want to ask you, how do you feel or what do you do when you're feeling overwhelmed? When you have those moments where life just seems a little bit out of control, what do you do? So some of us might be feeling very much that way this morning, uh, but when you're going through a stressful time where there's lots and lots of things that you need to be organising, or when uh, you've got a big event coming up, or maybe there's lots of things happening in your family or with your network of friends, uh, once upon a time we would have included planning to go away on a holiday, but most of us don't get to do that much anymore, so that's not necessarily one, but one that we might have had in the past. But when you're in those moments where you're feeling overwhelmed, what do you do? A lot of us end up just getting really, really stressed out and trying to control things by being even more frenzied in our activity. So we try to do more and more and more and try and do it quicker and quicker and quicker and hope that as we do that, uh, we might feel better, but generally that doesn't work out very well. Some of us end up lashing out at other people. So we end up getting upset at other people, frustrated at other people, saying things that we don't really mean. And when we stop and think about it, we recognise it actually had nothing to do with them and nothing to do with the situation. It was just because of how we were feeling, but we take it out on other people. Some of us end up just giving up altogether and saying, that's it, I'm done. I'm going to just sit down, close the door, shut the world out. It's all over. I'm finished. I can't do this anymore. It shouldn't come as a surprise to any of you that uh, there are times when I feel that way. So particularly over the last 18 months, there has been a lot that's been going on uh, for us as we've worked through all the different things that have happened and changed and all the different adjustments that we've had to make as a church family. And uh, even right now, as we prepare to get ready for Western communities to come and join us, there's a lot that's bubbling around and a lot that's going on. And so I know that the best version of what happens for me when I'm feeling overwhelmed and when I'm feeling stressed out is that I slow down and I try to just pump the brakes a little bit and sit down and write out a list. So just write it all out. Everything that's on my mind, all of the things that I'm thinking about, all of the things that I know that I need to do, I just get them all down on paper or electronically get them down. And then I pick one thing and I do that. And then once that's done, I pick the second thing and I do that. And then I do the next thing and the next thing. And oddly enough, eventually, the whole list ends up getting done and I feel a whole lot better about things. Today, as we wrap up our Blueprint series, we're going to talk a little bit more about what it means for us to continue to follow Jesus and in particular, what it looks like for us to live and to love like Jesus. The challenge is that as we think about all of the enormity of all of the things that we can do to follow Jesus it can sometimes feel very overwhelming, can sometimes feel very, very stressful. Here's this massive list of all of these things that I'm supposed to do in order to be more like Jesus. And so we're going to take some time to slow down and to think about what that looks like and what the one thing is that God might be calling us to do. So today we are wrapping up our Blueprint series, this series that we've done over the last five weeks where we've been working through uh, the book of 1 Thessalonians, uh, this letter that Paul wrote to a city in ancient Greece called Thessalonica. This beautiful community of people who Paul said were doing such an amazing job of following Jesus together. They discovered the message of Jesus and they just decided to throw themselves fully into that to embrace the challenges that that meant and the struggles that they were going through. And so Paul writes this incredible letter that we've had the privilege of being able to work through where he encourages them, where he strengthens them, but where he also challenges them. And at the end of this letter, verse that we're not going to spend a lot of time digging into today, Paul writes these words in verse 27. He says, I command you in the name of the Lord to read this letter to all of the brothers and sisters. 
This is the reminder that for Paul, the way that this would have uh, played out, and this is true with all of the New Testament letters, is that they would have been received by someone who would have said, hey, we got a letter from Paul, and then someone would have stood up in front of a gathered community and read the whole thing out. So can you imagine how overwhelming that might have felt to read everything that we've talked about over the last five weeks all at once? But what they would have done is exactly what we've done pulled it apart, been able to say, okay, what are the things that we need to look at? What are the things that we need to remember? What are the things that we need to feel encouraged about? But also what are the things that we need to take and put into practice together? And so they would have talked through the same themes that we have. What is the core of the message of Jesus? And being reminded that that's about faith, love and hope. They would have been reminded that it takes courage and authenticity and genuine care in order to share that message of Jesus with the people around them. They would have been reminded that they're not in an individual relationship with Jesus and it's just about them and God, but it is about being in this together. And that when they gather together, the purpose of doing that is so that they can be so filled up with God's love that it spills out of them into all of the relationships with each other, but even more than that, into the relationships with other people. They would have been reminded about the hope that they have in Jesus' return. And even though the details about that are very uncertain, how it's going to happen, when it's going to happen, there is this confidence that Jesus is going to come back. And that then changes the way that we embrace the here and now. They would have taken time to recognise that they need to practise what it looks like to learn how to love each other, to put these things into practice. It's not something you instantly get, but it's something that you need to continue to grow in. And through all of that, we've seen this beautiful blueprint of what a healthy church is. And I hope that it's been a huge encouragement, but also a challenge for you and for us as well, as we've unpacked those different things to say, what does it look like for us, even though it's 2,000 years later, even though we're in a completely different culture, to understand what it means to be a healthy community gathered around Jesus. And so today we're going to finish off with a number of uh, items that Paul says that finish off what it means to be a healthy church. And you can almost imagine in some ways that Paul's like, get all of these things down because here's the rest of what you need to know as we wrap things up. So you have your teaching notes inside of Connect News. You can grab those, jot things down as we go through today's message. And uh, if you've got your Bible with you, you can open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we're going to jump in starting from verse 12. So Paul writes, Dear brothers and sisters, honour those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work and live peacefully with each other. This is a good opportunity for us to remind ourselves about the original context where all of this is playing out. Can you imagine what it must have been like to be one of the leaders in the early church? All of these people, including you, a lot of the time, who are just discovering the message of Jesus and trying to bring together people from all of these different backgrounds, all of these different cultures, trying to understand what does this all mean? What does this all look like? Which parts of our culture do we need to let go of? Which parts can we kind of transfer across? What does that all look like? And so imagine what it must have been like for these poor leaders trying to encourage people, strengthen people, challenge people, say, no, no, don't talk about that. That's not where we're going. Let's focus here. Remember who Jesus is. Remember what Jesus has done. Remember what Paul and Silas and Timothy taught us. Don't obsess about that thing. Let's focus on this. Can you imagine how hard it must have been? And so Paul writes to them to say, hey, make sure that you remember what a great job your leaders are doing. They're doing the very best that they can. 
in very, very complex circumstances. So honour them. Recognise all of the hard work that they're putting in, all of the sacrifice that they're putting in, all of the giving out that they're doing with no expectation of anything in return. And the word that Paul uses for respect is really about knowing worth. It's about stopping long enough to say, hey, they're giving a lot. They're worthy of our respect. They deserve us being able to say, thank you for all that you're doing. To give our wholehearted love to these people who are leading us, to not take them for granted. We're so fortunate here at Brooklyn Park to have such an amazing group of people who fit in exactly the same categories. People who are selfless, people who give out constantly, who do so much work to help us to try and follow Jesus in very, very complex situations. Now, I'm not going to name names because I'll get myself into trouble, but we can think about broadly a bunch of the people who are in different roles with us, our board, the people who set the direction for us as a church, who help us to make sure that we're doing all of the things that we need to, stopping and trying to pray, God, what's the next step for us? What are the next things that we need to be focused on? The people who are involved to help us be able to put on our Sunday gatherings, and whether that's people who are up the front or people who help out behind the scenes, there are so many people who help that to happen. Our amazing youth leaders who invest in our students and our teenagers. Our awesome kids leaders who invest in our kids through God's gang and playgroup. The people who engage with our wider community, the people who help out with the things that we do with emergency relief. The people who are involved with Shout for Joy, our ministry to people with special needs. The people who are involved in our men's shed, engaging with men who are working through a whole bunch of different things but having some projects that they can work on together. And there are so many others as well. And if I haven't mentioned you and you feel offended, I'm very, very sorry. There's a lot of people who do a lot of stuff for us and with us as a community. So we need to show each other respect. We need to encourage each other. We need to recognise that all those people are doing the very best that they can, giving out sacrificially and selflessly so often. We should express our gratitude to them, our wholehearted love because of the work that they're doing. And Paul then says to live peacefully with each other. And this really is one of the key markers of any church, the ability to live at peace with each other. Now, that doesn't mean that there's never any conflict. This has been dangerously interpreted in some ways, where it's like, oh, we're never allowed to talk about anything hard. And generally what that ends up doing is making things much, much worse. Living peacefully with each other means that we work through the stuff that we need to work through, but we express that sense of gratitude for each other. We express that sense of being thankful for all the work that people are putting in and we step forward in unity. We'll be talking a bit more about that as we go through the rest of what Paul writes here. So in verse 14, Paul then continues. He says, Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. Encourage those who are timid. Take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. I really love the message translation of these verses. I think it just helps to flesh it out a little bit more. Get along among yourselves, each of you doing your part. Our counsel is that you warn the freeloaders to get a move on. Gently encourage the stragglers and reach out for the exhausted, pulling them to their feet. Be patient with each person, attentive to individual needs. And be careful that when you get on each other's nerves, you don't snap at each other. Look for the best in each other and always do your best to bring it out. 
Be cheerful no matter what. Pray all the time. Thank God no matter what happens. This is the way God wants you who belong to Christ Jesus to live. Now there's a lot there. This is what we talk about, getting overwhelmed with the enormity of all of the stuff that's involved in what it means for us to follow Jesus. So we're going to pull all of that apart, make a bit of a list. And as we do, I want to encourage you to be thinking about whether there's one of these that jumps out at you. One where you maybe just feel a little bit of a catch in your spirit where you would say, huh, maybe that's the thing for me to spend a bit more time focusing on or a bit more time thinking about. Don't feel overwhelmed with the enormity of all of it, but just pick one. So Paul begins by saying, warn those who are lazy. And in some ways, our translation is a bit inadequate for what it's talking about uh, because the context is really more about someone who's being unruly. Uh, it was also used in the context of a soldier who stepped out of line from the rest of the ranks. And so it's that picture of someone who's just kind of getting distracted and causing a bit of a ruckus by moving out differently to everyone else instead of saying, let's move together in unity. And so Paul's really saying, try and bring people back in line with each other. Message translation, (laughs) warn the freeloaders to get a move on. It's that sense of like, no, no, don't get distracted over there. Let's go and let's keep moving forward together. Paul then says, encourage those who are timid. And really what he's talking about there is the people who are easily discouraged or the people who are experiencing a lot of fear in their lives. What Paul's saying is help those people to come out of their shells to recognise that all of us have something to offer and so encourage one another. And we've talked so often about that word encouragement that means to give courage to someone else. So for people who are discouraged, people who are experiencing a lot of fear in their lives, how can we give them a sense of courage to be able to move forward with the next things that God's got for them in their lives? Paul also says to take tender care of those who are weak or to reach out for the exhausted. It's this beautiful picture of being able to say the people who are struggling, who are falling behind a little bit or struggling to get up, how do we come alongside of them, strengthen them, give them a hand up, stand alongside of them to be able to keep moving forward? There might be someone that comes to mind for you right now as you think about someone who you would say is feeling a bit weak, is feeling a bit exhausted. What does it look like to reach out for them and to reach out to them as we head into this week? Paul then says, a very challenging statement, be patient with everyone. And the original context for the word everyone is everyone. I know that's a little bit confusing, but that's what Paul in the original language is meaning, everyone. So not just the people that we get on well with, not just the people that we like, but everyone. So that means our family members, who sometimes can be the hardest people to be patient with, whether that's our close family or our extended family, our friends at school or at uni, the people that we work with, the people that live on our street, each other. Paul says, be patient with everyone. Believe the best about each other. Give other people the benefit of the doubt that you would like to receive if things were the other way around. Exercise our sense of self-restraint when we feel frustrated with each other. I love the way that Paul, or that it's put in the uh, message translation. Be careful that when you get on each other's nerves, when you get on each other's nerves, not if, when you get on each other's nerves, you don't snap at each other. Be patient with everyone. And Paul then fleshes that out a little bit more practically about what that looks like. And specifically says, not paying back evil for evil, 
but always trying to do good to each other and to all people. It's this beautiful reminder about when we're faced with a conflict, when someone attacks us or says something to us or says something about us, we don't up the temperature because guess what happens next? They do, and then we do, and then they do, and then we do, and things go sideways very, very fast. So we don't pay back evil for evil, but we always try to do good to each other and for each other. We look to bring a peaceful resolution to any conflict that we're facing together. We look for the best in each other and say, how can I bring this out of you? Rather than seeing the worst in you and naming that and focusing on that, I look at the best in you and say, how can I bring that out so that we can move forward together? Paul then says another very challenging statement, always be joyful. And the reason why we find this one challenging is because we often equate joy with happiness, but they're two very, very different things. And Paul doesn't say be happy all of the time because that is impossible. Happiness is always related to our circumstances. What's going on in the here and now very much affects our happiness. But joy, on the other hand, is something that's far more longer term. Joy gives us an opportunity to zoom out and to be able to look at the bigger picture, not just what's happening right now, but the bigger picture of who God is and what God's up to, what hope looks like, what the future is going to hold, and being able to experience joy even in the midst of very difficult circumstances. Paul also says that we should never stop praying. And this, again, seems a little bit challenging. So does that mean we're supposed to pray 100% of the time? Because how am I supposed to pray while I'm up here speaking to you? And while we're having a coffee afterwards, are we supposed to be praying while we're drinking? Or when we go to the shop and we're buying groceries, are we supposed to be praying out loud while that's happening? Obviously, this is a reminder that prayer is about so much more than the prayers that we pray. Prayer is really about cultivating our relationship with God a deep sense of connection with God. It's about a posture of prayer rather than about us saying prayers all of the time. And so this is really about saying, am I reminding myself regularly throughout the day that God is with me, that God's present with me no matter what I'm going through? And that's why it can be helpful to do things like set reminders, like setting a reminder on our phone that goes off every hour to be able to say, oh yeah, that's right, God's with me. How do I reorient my thoughts around that? Or to put sticky notes up somewhere or something that's somewhere that we're going to see it regularly so that we can have our attention turned to the reality of what we know, that God is here with us. This is important because so many of us have been brought up with a mindset of saying that our focus needs to be on getting up in the morning and doing a daily devotional time. So reading some scripture, maybe doing some journaling, spending some time praying. But I don't know about you, but so often when I focus on that, I then end up doing all of that, wrap it up with a nice bow, and then head out into my day. And it's really easy to forget about God for the whole rest of the day. Now, that's important to start our day that way because it helps to shape our thoughts and our focus. But if that's all we do, we're missing what Paul's encouraging us to do. Adopt a posture of prayer where our thoughts are oriented to the reality that God's with us all the time and focusing on our connection with him. And Paul then finishes this section by saying, be thankful in all circumstances. Now, once again, we've got to be really careful here because Paul is not saying that we need to thank God for everything that happens to us because that can take us down some very unhelpful roads. Paul says, be thankful in all circumstances, not thankful for all circumstances. And those are two very, very different things. 
We're thankful in all circumstances, no matter what's going on, we can express gratitude to God for all that he gives us. That doesn't mean that we have to be thankful for everything that we're going through, especially those difficult and challenging times that we face. This is why the practice of gratitude is such a healthy thing for us to do. It's one of my key habits. Every day, I try to get up and start my day by saying, what are three things at least that I can express gratitude to God for? Rather than starting my day with, here's the list of all the things I've got on today, or here's the things that I'm frustrated about, or here's the things that I'm stressed about, start my day by being able to say, thank you, God, for these things, which then completely changes my perspectives, changes my perceptions, changes my outlook, so that I can then head into the day. So being thankful, practicing gratitude, no matter what we're going through. Now, Paul then finishes off with a couple of other bits and pieces. He says in verse 19, Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that's said. Hold on to what is good and stay away from every kind of evil. What Paul's really saying here is embrace an openness to what God is up to. Stop long enough to be able to sense what is the wind of the Spirit doing? Where is the wind blowing? And how do I accept that wind blowing me forward? But... Paul reminds us that that's not something that we just do on our own. It's a very dangerous place that we can end up where we say, I heard God say this and therefore I'm going to do this. And even more concerning can be when we go up to other people and say, God told me to tell you this. And we just assume that we have to embrace that. Paul is really, really clear to say that when we sense that God's saying something to us, it's okay for us to test that, to think about it, to work it out together. And so the healthy way that we process what we sense that God's saying is to be able to take that to each other in community, to say, I'm sensing that God's challenging me about this. I was reading this this week, and I think this is what God means by that. Or I'm sensing this. Do you agree with that? And to take some time to be able to process that in community together. But Paul also finishes by saying, hold on to what is good and stay away from every kind of evil. This is really about saying, what is our major focus? Is our major focus on the things that are good, the things that are positive, the things that are helpful and uplifting? Or is our focus on things that are not that helpful for us? And Paul's very clear to say, stay away from every kind of evil. It's to challenge ourselves to say, are we even starting to kind of dabble in things a little bit? And this could be something as simple as gossip talking about or thinking negative things about other people, thinking negative things about ourselves, watching things that we know aren't helpful for us, listening to things that aren't helpful for us that get us all riled up. Paul says, with all those things, just steer clear of them completely. Don't even take an opportunity to let that get established in your life because very quickly that can become something that's a habit and drag you away from God's best. So keep your mind focused on the things that are good and stay away from every single kind of evil. So that is a big list. That's a very, very big list. And I don't know about you, but as I was processing through that this week, I was like, man, that is a lot. And it can feel very, very overwhelming. Here's another bunch of things that I have to think about. Here's a big to-do list that I'm supposed to somehow check off in order for me to say, God, I've done everything that you want me to do. Not only that, but it gets in the way of half the things that are on that list. Seeing this gigantic list makes me feel less patient, makes me feel less joyful and less thankful. What am I supposed to do with all this? 
Well, first of all, we want to remind ourselves that ultimately all of these are the things that we see in Jesus. That Jesus not only taught these things, but Jesus lived these things. When we look at the life of Jesus, we see him living all of these things out. And so that's our reference point, is to be able to say, isn't it amazing that Jesus came to show us how to live the way that God wants us to live? But we also remind ourselves that ultimately the journey of our lives is to continue to try and get better at better, better and better at following him. And that's really what discipleship is, taking our next steps in our walk with Jesus. Discipleship is about apprenticeship. Discipleship is about learning from the master. We learn from Jesus, but we don't suddenly get all of that at once downloaded in us and we're good to go. It's the rest of our lives where we take one step and then another step and another step and another step. And so the challenge is for us to say, right now, what is it that God is saying to me that's tugging on my heart, that's tugging on my spirit, this sense where I know or have a sense this is the next thing that will help me to become more like Jesus. Because we have to remember that our goal here is not to do all of these things so that we can somehow try and win God's approval or try and impress God. And Paul finishes his letter off by saying exactly that. In verse 23, he writes, Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen, for he who calls you is faithful. This is a beautiful reminder of what we touched on last week, that holiness is about being set apart, being completely different. But God is the one who sets us apart. God is the one who makes us holy. We don't somehow earn holiness, work hard enough to become holy people. God is the one who gives that to us. God is the one who is faithful to us. And so he will keep our whole spirit, soul and body blameless until Jesus comes again. That's how God sees us right now, in this moment. God looks at us and says, you are holy. You are blameless. And God's desire for us is to experience peace, shalom, life the way that God always wanted it to be. And so that's liberating. That's freeing. That's the experience that we have to be able to say, wow, that's how God sees me. And so my journey is then about taking my next steps to become who God already says that I am. This is not about me trying to earn that, trying to get my act together enough, trying to prove myself so that God will somehow say, now I accept you, now I embrace you, now I love you. God loves us, accepts us, embraces us right now and then gives us the opportunity to discover what life is always supposed to be about, the way that Jesus shows it to us. So that's what I want to give us an opportunity to be able to reflect on with this very, very simple question, which is one of my favourite questions in everything to do with discipleship and following Jesus. It's very, very simple. What's your next step? What is the next thing that God is challenging you about, encouraging you about, asking you to take in your journey with Jesus? Where are you feeling uh, challenged? Where are you feeling convicted? Where are you feeling a bit of a nudge to take a step that may require a little bit of courage? But you know it's the next thing that God is calling you to do. It could be related to one of the things that we've talked about today, or it could be something completely different. 
It could be about encouraging other people, coming alongside of others and being able to say, I'm so grateful for you because you do these things or because of who you are. It could be coming alongside of those who are struggling and supporting them, lifting them up, trying to hold them steady in the midst of what they're going through. It could be growing in a sense of patience, growing in what it means to be a person of peace, someone who doesn't escalate things but helps to bring resolution in issues of conflict. It could be about practising gratitude. It could be about adopting a posture of prayer. It could be about stopping and sensing what is the Spirit saying? What is, where is the Spirit blowing? What is it that God is saying to me right now? I'm processing that with others. It could be a conviction about staying away from a certain type of evil that I know I'm starting to dabble in that's dragged me away from God's best. What's the one thing that God is tugging at your heart as you sit here right now that you want to take into this week and continue to process and practice and work on as we move through the rest of the week? I'm going to give you some time to be able to think about that. Normally during this reflection time, we say, feel free to jot something down, talk to the person next to you. But I want to encourage you today to take some time with God. You might want to close your eyes. You might even want to put your hands out as a sign of saying, God, show me what it is that you want to give me. But in the silence as we have background music playing, what is the one thing that you sense that God's saying to you today? And take a moment to jot that down because I don't know about you, but as soon as I leave this place, I forget about most of the things that we've talked about. So being able to just, what's that one thing? How can you capture it so that this week you can take some time to focus on it and continue to explore your next steps in your walk with Jesus? So take a couple of moments Open yourself up. What is God saying to you? Jot that down. We'll come back and pray and transition to communion.
Let's pray. God, we are so incredibly grateful for the truths that you say about us. Thank you for the truth that you call us holy, that you call us set apart, that you call every part of us blameless. I'm grateful, Jesus, that all of that is because of you, because of your life, death and resurrection, that we can now stand before God as people who are recognised that way. We thank you that we are loved, that we're embraced and that we're accepted. We're sorry that so often in our lives we spend so much time trying to work harder so that we can prove ourselves to you in the hope of earning those things that you've already given to us. So I pray that this morning you would remind us again about just how much you love us, the way in which you look at us with such loving eyes. But in the midst of that, we thank you that there is also so much room for us to grow, that you see the potential that's in us, that you want us to be able to experience life the way that you created it to live, what it means to live in a full, complete relationship with you, with each other, with this amazing creation that you have made. And so our desire is that you would continue to move us forward, to help us to know what those next steps are so that we can discover more and more what that looks like, more and more about what a life that is surrendered to you, Jesus, looks like, a life that reflects you, Jesus. And so I pray that these things that we've processed this morning, these things that we've processed through these last five weeks as we've worked our way through this amazing letter would stick with us, that throughout this week you would continue to remind us of the work that you're doing in us, the ways in which you want to continue to move us forward individually and collectively as a church family so that more and more we can resemble you and be able to have an impact on the people and the world around us. In your name we pray. Amen.